right. Welcome to the Gathering Church this morning. So glad that you're with us. I don't know if you saw it, but the sun is shining, and that's really cool. I know, like, it's sad, but like, we really need to be grateful for that because we can go play in the, in, the, in the sun, and I can send my kids outside to go away. Uh, not too far, but just far enough, you know? And so, yeah. Hey, my name is Robbie Denson. I'm the executive pastor here at the Gathering Church, and from our team, from our staff, from our dream team, we just want to say welcome Welcome home, if this is your first Sunday with us. Our lead pastor, John Mark Redwine, and his wife, Rael, are actually out in San Jose in the Bay Area. They're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of Echo Church. Echo Church, you may, not, you may not know this, but, you know, we stand on the shoulders of so many great churches, and Echo Church is one of those one of those churches. They are one of our sending churches. They supported us financially. We call them anytime we have to make a decision and we say, okay, what would you guys do? And then we go, well, that's what we're going to do. And then we do that thing. And, and so we just, we sent him out because we just wanted to be able to celebrate and honor uh, Echo and what they mean to us and what they do for us. And then it's great just for John Mark and Rael to, to be able to get away and, and have some time together. And so we just wanted to let you guys know that's where they're at. Uh, if this is your first Sunday with us. Welcome. I know we've said it several times. You probably got greeted a whole bunch, and that's our goal. We want you to feel like we were expecting you today, that church is a place you can come and be excited. Church is a place you can come and be welcomed, and just people are pumped that you are here. And so, hey, how y'all doing? We're glad that you're here. Uh, when you came in, you got a program, and in that program is a Connect card. That's all that we would like from you this morning, if you're comfortable with it. It's for you just to fill out that Connect card with as much information as you feel comfortable with. We don't want to take anything from you that you're not willing to give. And so just fill that out, drop it in the offering bucket later on in service, and we just want to say, hey, we're glad that you were here this week. And we want to give you what we think could be a next step for you. And you can take it if you want, or, or you don't have to. That's, that's totally okay. Also, this year, you just saw the video, we're sending our students to summer camp, and I grew up going to summer camp. I was one of the summer camp kids. I remember, I was like 11, 12, 13, all those pivotal years in a boy's life. I was going to summer camp to meet with God and to meet with, uh, with young ladies, and that's what I did. I had a blast. Let's just be real. Let's be honest. It was exciting. She loved that. Uh, she knows what I'm talking about. And so I would just encourage you, if you have students, sign them up. They got a middle school camp and a high school camp. We're partnering with Seacoast Church down in Charleston, South Carolina, and they have a campus up here in Asheville. I would encourage you, if you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, we're going to send our middle schooler this year, and it's going to be a blast. But you can also be a part of a student going. And so you can go to our website and give to our student fund, and that's just going to help sponsor kids to be able to be a part of summer camp, for them to be able to go, because it can get, uh, can be pricey. And so I just wanted to encourage you and let you know that information. This morning, we are in the final part of our series, How to Be Social Without Media. Uh, you know, we live in a time where uh, technology and social media really rule the day. Uh, the technological advances, I think, that we've seen in the last 20 years have really been able to show us a portal into the future. I mean, we're looking at uh, what's going to happen because we can see where technology is taking us. And I don't know if this is correct, but I just think that I was born in like the sweet spot for being able to see like the, the, the massive advances in technology. Uh, I graduated high school in 2006. Uh, for some of you, that makes me old. And then for some of you, that makes me 
uh, young, and so I don't know what that means for you, but right out of high school, I moved in with, with a few guys, and, and we lived together, and in, in 2008, uh, these commercials started coming on about this new phone that Apple was going to make, and I just remember laughing at all of them. You know, I, you know, I had the best phone on the market at the time. Does anybody know what the best phone on the market at the time was in 2008? Yo, you nailed it. I was nervous about doing that. I didn't do it. Yeah, I had a sweet, like, metallic blue Motorola Razor. Every time I just, you know, you just, you know, if you wanted to say, like, words, you had to push numbers a few times to get, you know what I'm saying? Some of you don't know what I'm saying. That's because you're, like, you know, I don't know how old you are. But I just remember watching these commercials and thinking, like, there's no chance I'm going to trade this phone in for this piece of junk. And I had a, a roommate. I lived with five guys in a house with way less than uh, five rooms. And at one point, I lived in a 12 by 12 room. And uh, I had, there were three of us in there. And let me just tell you from experience that there is nothing cool about uh, being 20 years old and hopping down from the top bunk. Uh, <laughs> It's just not a good place in life, you know, where you just, yeah, just, you have a bunk bed at 20, there's something's wrong. And, uh, and so I lived with three guys, five guys, and one of them I would consider had a lot of money. He just could buy lunch and stuff, but that to me was a lot of money. And uh, he was in line to get his iPhone, and he walked in that night, his name was Josh, and uh, he walked in rocking his deep V and a big old smile and was showing the whole house the phone, and I just remember thinking, I... His mommy and daddy just spent so much money on that, that piece of junk. Uh, and then he uh, put it in my hands. I was like, oh, man, it's smooth. <laughs> These rounded edges are, are quite futuristic. <laughs> and, uh, and then I started to play with it, and I was messing around. I was like, oh, there's no buttons. You just got to tap. Oh, this is pretty cool. And then, and then there was a feature. I don't know if you, you know this about uh, your phone. The iPhone still does this. And this is what blew my mind. This is what got me on the bandwagon. Uh, he showed me where I can... Uh, go into my contact and I could take a picture of me. And so when I call him, it was me that would show the picture of me. And I was like, oh my gosh, your phones can still, you know, phones can still do that. And, uh, and so I was all in, you know, I was like, this is, I want to get me one of these. And so, uh, you know, here we are, right, 11 years later, and we can just see how far technology has come. And and where the world is going. And here's the thing about this series. Technology and social media, they are not bad. I don't think they were created with ill intentions. We're not trying to communicate that in this series at all to get rid of social media. In fact, we use it as a church daily. I use it daily to go find funny videos, right? And so, like, it's important to us. I had someone after service, I said, how did you find out about the gathering? And they said, oh, we use social media. And I was like, yeah, okay, good. That's, you're using it for good, good things. And here's the thing. They aren't bad, right? But what we're trying to do in this series is bring back the value of significant relationships, real relationships. Relationships that allow you to sit across the table from someone and see them eye to eye. Relationships that allow you to use technology to say, hey, you want to get up for lunch? I got to get some things off my chest. Or, hey, I need to laugh today. There's, I can't count the amount of times I've called someone to get lunch with because, you know, I was just stressed and I just needed to laugh. And I operate well when I'm having a good time. And, and these are the type of relationships that we want to promote in this series. And the thing is, relationships, they're key to being human, and it would be nice if they came more naturally, but they do not. 
I think it's safe to say there was a time when relationships came more naturally, but that time has passed us. And so this morning, we're going to unpack what I believe is the most crucial element of any great relationship, and that is the ability to dig a little deeper, to dig a little deeper. And before we can begin to dig a little deeper in our relationships, we've got to learn how to dig a little bit deeper within ourselves. One of my, one of my mentors who, uh, he had an accent, he was from Brazil, and there's something about people with accents, I just think they're right. Like I just, I listen to him and I'm like, you're so much smarter than me. I'm sure you're right about that. And so he was, he was talking to me one day and uh, it's actually kind of interesting. John Mark's mentor is named Andy Wood. He's the lead pastor at Echo Church. My mentor was named Felipe Santos and he's the executive pastor at Echo Church. And then John Mark and I would plant a church six years later. I thought that was pretty interesting. Pretty cool for me, not for you. I'm sorry for sharing that. But he, uh, he used to tell me all the time, he would say, Robbie, it only takes one person to go deep. It only takes one person to go deep. And that always resonated with me because he was right. I wanted to share my heart and my struggles and my, my real life issues with the people around me. I was just always afraid to do it. But if someone, if someone in the group was brave enough to cross that line, to put themselves out there, it always seemed to give me the courage to do the same. And I think that we're all craving someone to take the mask off with. And, and you know what the beautiful thing about this? You can be here this morning and, and you, know, you can belong before you believe here at the gathering church, but this is a universal truth. You don't have to be a follower of Christ. I want you to listen to what we're saying today and I'm gonna tie it back in to, to Jesus and to the Bible. But if you're here this morning and you're not sure that you believe any of this, I'm right. We're all, we're, we're created with this desire to be in relationship, to get real. But oftentimes we're waiting for someone else to start the conversation so we can have the courage to join in. And so that's why we're talking about digging a little deeper this morning. And because without this ability, our relationships will remain at the surface and we'll never get the reward that waits underneath. Because there is a reward in the mess. There is a reward if we're willing to dig into the chaos. Listen to this. Your relationships will paint a picture of your future. Just think about where you are in life. Maybe you're in a great spot. Maybe you're in a, a difficult spot. Think about the relationships that you've had around you for the last five years. Get honest with yourself. Do any of those relationships play a role in where you're at today? Your destiny is directly connected to your relationships. Where God wants to take you is connected to the relationships that he desires for you. And here's the rub. Here's the rub with this. Relationships, we've said, they're crucial for your life, but they are so frustrating. <laughs> they just are. Oftentimes, we, we find, what we find is that there's a gap between what you expect and then what you experience. And in that gap is all the frustration that comes with relationships. Have you ever experienced those gaps of frustration? I talk about this with married couples who come and meet with me. I talk about this idea. So tell me what you want from your spouse. And I'm hearing these lofty goals. And that's great. We need to set high expectations for the people who care for us the most. So now tell me what you're experiencing. 
So what we're talking about is a gap between what you expect and what you experience. So that's what we're going to address in this meeting. Everything else can wait. We're going to address this frustration gap. But this frustration gap doesn't just happen in marital relationships. It happens in the relationships that we need in our lives to thrive. They don't just happen in our relationships. They happen in all areas of our life. For example, many of you are going to view me differently after I share my, my heart on this subject. For me, a great example of this is Star Wars. Listen, I'm, I'm preaching. I get to say what I want to say. <laughs> I watched my first Star Wars movie last year, and I have grown up hearing and seeing t-shirts and like watching people line up for the movies wearing outfits. And I'm thinking, this has got to be good. And I've been, John Mark, I, we did a run through this week and I shared this part and he was so mad at me. And I was like, it's my turn to speak, buddy. And you won't be there. And, and so I just heard there's a whole subculture to Star Wars. And so I was like, I'm going to watch Star Wars. What am I doing? And so I watched the first movie. I'm like, all right, okay. And to be fair, I watched the second movie and then I threw down my hammer of judgment. And I was like, this is crap. My expectation was high, but all I got was mediocre acting and a plot line with holes in it. Anybody who tells me that Mark Hamill is a good actor probably thinks that William Shatner is too, right? I don't know. That's just me. Uh, yesterday, we deal with these expectations, right? These gaps. Another great example of this is yesterday, my family, it's been raining. And so you have three kids and you're like, we got to do something. Uh, we took the kids to the Biltmore yesterday to show them the house. And on the way, my wife was playing a recording that described the Biltmore. And it was talking about all the rooms and all the bathrooms and all the tubs. And my middle child, who is like a total space monkey, he's just out in another planet, loving it. He is listening and he's fascinated. And he's just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And he says, mom, it's going to be like Disney World. <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh no, we're setting this kid up for failure. And so we're walking through the house and like this room looks a lot like that room. And then there's another room that looks like all the other rooms. And he looks up at us and he says, man, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm over it. He had an expectation, but his experience fell fall far short. And here's where these gaps between expectation and experience become a major problem. When we allow the gaps of frustration to compound over time, at some point, an explosion takes place. And you might hear people say, well, they just exploded. You know, I don't, I don't know what happened. My spouse came home one day and they had an attitude and they just exploded on me. Or we were at work and my coworker, I thought things were going well, but all of a sudden they just blew up. No, they didn't. That explosion has been developing for weeks and months and maybe even years. They didn't explode. Instead, over time, their expectation kept not meeting their experience. And over time, frustration set in and resentment set in and anger set in because relationships, contrary to popular belief, they don't splinter and fracture overnight. Marriages don't fall apart at a moment's notice. Working relationships don't end all of a sudden. These relationships fall apart over time when we don't deal with things. And so what happens is we begin to explore those frustrations. And what, we, what happens is we come, to face, we come face to face with the voice of these frustrations. And oftentimes what we identify is that the voice of frustration is oftentimes our own. 
our own. Did you know that the most damaging voice to our potential and our future is oftentimes our own? We love to remind ourselves that our inadequacies are too great. We love to remind ourselves that we only lasted two and a half weeks on the diet plan this year. Or I didn't become the thing I thought I was going to become. Or I never met the goals that I had set for myself back in college. And we live with this internal frustration because your expectation and your experience of yourself isn't lining up. And so what we do is we say, well, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix me. If if, if I'm the problem, I'm going to fix me. If they're the problem, I'm going to fix them. If the money's the problem, I'm going to fix the money. I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to fix that. And, and, And what we do is we deal with the symptoms of our problems, and we never address the core issues. We never dig underneath. Listen to this. The fruit in your life is found in the root. The fruit is found in the root. And if the root is unhealthy in your life, then it cannot produce the fruit you want to get out of it. And for so many of us, we're trying to turn bad fruit into something that we can just work with. Well, if this is the problem, I don't know how to solve the problem. I'm just going to work with it. If my marriage isn't healthy, that's okay. I'm just going to work with it. If I'm not happy at work and I find no joy, I've identified the problem, I'm just going to I'm just going to work with it. It's like when my wife, we have these bananas in the, fr- uh, in the pantry, and in a matter of uh, one and a half hours from the grocery store, they turn black, right? And I'm like going to throw them away, and she's like, no, no, I can make a smoothie out of that. I'm like, don't make my smoothie out of it. That's disgusting. But so many of us, right, we're trying to do that with the fruit in our life. You can do that with your nasty smoothies. Don't do it with mine. But we can't do that when it comes to your life. So if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel dead or empty or depressed or shame or like giving up, could it be that your roots aren't healthy? I think it's time you and I do some maintenance on our roots. Let's check them this morning. And so today I want to look at four different roots so that you can dig deeper with yourself and as a result, go deeper with others. The first root is this, the root of truth the root of truth. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What I want to identify as important here is that of course the word of God is alive and active, but it goes on to say this, which I find interesting. That the word of God penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit. And so the word of God, being alive and active, wants to penetrate and it wants to separate your soul and your spirit. Why? Because those are two different things. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit this morning. And so for us to understand this, we have to understand the makeup of who we are and who God is. In Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image. What is God talking about? We call this the Trinity. It's not found in Scripture, but we call this idea the Trinity. It's this, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so he, he looks at the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and he says, let us make man in our... He's like looking back, hey guys, let us make man in our image. And so we were made in the image of God who has three parts, so in that image we too have three parts. 
If you've been through our freedom group, I would encourage you, if you haven't been, I would encourage you to go. If you've been through our freedom group, we've taken over 50 men and women through the freedom group. It's an excellent curriculum. I lead the men's. My wife leads the women's group. They're at my house. They're awesome. We're going to multiply those and we're going to have more. But if you've been through the freedom group, you're going to have a little bit of a head start on what we're talking about with this root of truth. So my hope is that this can unlock some things for you this morning. Like, you know, we struggle with what is, okay, God's in me, but now what's he trying to do? God's in me, but now where's he trying to take me? I get it. I'm at church. God is alive. He's breathing. Okay, but what's he trying to do with me? I think I can help you with that. So you and I, we have three parts. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. Those that we, we are one-third body, one-third soul, and one-third spirit. You have a body. You may not be happy with your body, but you have a body. You've got, every, you've got your lungs, you've got the heart, you've got your brain, you've got everything that you need to have a body. But here's the thing. Your body has an expiration date. We all have an appointment with death. The, the Bible tells us that, that life is like a vapor. It's here today, and then it's, it's just gone. It's gone tomorrow. And then you have a soul. So you've got a body, and you've got a soul. And this is so important to understand. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. But here's the thing. Your mind has an expiration date. Your will has an expiration date. Your emotions, they will be, poof, gone someday. So your body has an expiration date. Your soul has an expiration date. The only thing that you have that will last forever is your spirit. And so what happens when you receive Jesus into your life, the scripture says that your spirit comes alive. Your spirit just comes alive. The King James Version says it really cool. It says, your spirit has quickened. Your spirit has quickened. And I've heard it before, and maybe you have. Maybe you've said these things that, you know, I went to church or I was talking to a buddy and I accepted Jesus into my life and it's like everything snapped in for me. It's something inside of me. I'm breathing differently. I'm looking at life differently. I've got a motivation for my life and I'm just excited. But you know why? Because an entire third of you just came alive. Because you have a body, you have a soul, but your spirit may have been lying dormant for 30, 40, 50 years and you receive Jesus into your heart and you come alive. And it's a wild experience. But here's what happens when your spirit comes alive. Your spirit begins to interact with your body and your soul. And oftentimes, the spirit of God inside of you, it can create tension with your soul. And why is this? Because it took your entire life to develop your soul. It took your entire life to develop your mind. You think the way that you think, Probably, if you go see a counselor, what mine told me is because the way you were raised. If you have a prejudice, it was, it, was, it was taught to you. If you have a stubbornness about you, that's your soul, that's your mind, that's your will. And so here we are later on in life trying to interact with the spirit, but man, my soul's had a grip on me for so long. And so now it's running into contrast with some of the things that the spirit of God is trying to tell me, and I'm going to war with myself Here's a great example. Maybe you've been programmed to believe that when somebody wrongs you, that you have the right to wrong them. Or if somebody wrongs you, you have the right to just write them off. But now there's something inside of you that says, I've got something great for you. I've got a plan for you. I want to take you places, but you've got resentment and you've got anger and you, you've got so many things 
pent up against this person that I need you to deal with it. Because the resentment that you have isn't hurting them. It's hurting you. And that's what that is. That's the spirit of God inside of you going to war with your soul. And your soul says, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to bring up those wounds. I don't want, I don't want to backtrack. The spirit of God is saying, no, I've got better plans for you. Or maybe, maybe this hits home a little more. There's a, there's a family member that you've grown to hate. And now that the spirit of God has come alive in you, your spirit has quickened. You're starting to feel like this hate is really getting in the way of God's best for you. The spirit is trying to retrain your soul to follow the leading of the spirit of God rather than the leading of the flesh. Maybe you grew up in a family system that told you to hate a certain type of person because of the way they look or the color of their skin. But now there is a God inside of you who says we are all children of God. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There is no separation based off the way someone looks. I sent Jesus to die for all of you. And you're having to reconcile your soul with the Spirit of God. And you're going to war with the Spirit of God. This is why Paul says this in Romans chapter 7. He says, for I do not do the good that I want to do. There's things I want to do. I'm not doing them. Why? But the evil I do not want to do. Paul's spirit and soul are going to war with one another. And we all know what that's like, don't we? You know, I don't, I don't want to spend this time alone looking at pornography, but I just, I just can't stop myself. I don't, I don't want to hold this resentment any longer, but I just can't let it go. I, there's so many things that I know that the spirit of God is doing inside of me, but I just, I won't let it win. And so this is, this is just kind of a side note. What happens over time if you continue, so you see people that receive Jesus and they're on fire for God and they're just, what's next? What's next for me? What, what do I need to do? What happens over time? If we never allow the spirit of God to win, if we continually have our soul conquering the spirit of God, we just say, I'm, gonna, I'm walking away. I'm walking away. And we live with our body and we live with our soul and we live discontent because the spirit of God never leaves us. And it's trying to pull us back and saying, hey, Robbie, Robbie, I, I, I know you're hurting. I know you're broken. Let, let me work with you. Let me, let me work with you. Your spirit is trying to retrain your soul to submit itself to God over your flesh. And so the truth that I want you to dig into when it comes to your relationships is the truth about the condition of your soul. Get acquainted with who you are. Maybe your soul has been programmed to watch out for you and nobody else. So every relationship that you get into is one-sided and it's exhausting for the people around you because you've been trained. People hurt people and I'm not gonna get hurt. So, so I'm gonna let you serve me, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't wanna be a part of what I have experienced in relationships. So I'm gonna, it's, it's not gonna work. Maybe you, your soul has been trained to push people away so they can't see how broken you really are. We need to understand the condition of our soul so we can address the root of the problem. And if you're willing to do the hard work and get to the truth about yourself, then you can begin to become the best version of yourself. The second root I want to talk about is vulnerability. The root of vulnerability. And I already know that like, nobody wants to talk about this. I get it. You don't want to deal with this. I know that. But here's what I've learned about the enemy. If he can keep you silent, he can keep you broken. If the enemy can keep you silent, he can keep you broken. This is, this is a generational problem. 
You hear this in families. Oh, we don't talk about those things. That's water under the bridge. We don't want to dig that up because Thanksgiving is coming, right? So much of the regret in our lives is due to an unwillingness to get vulnerable. Regret is the result of unmade changes. Some of us need to make some changes to avoid the regret that's heading our way. Some of us need to get vulnerable to avoid the regret of never digging up the roots. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. What Paul is saying is that you've got a treasure in you, but it's in a, it's in a clay jar. What do we know about clay jars? They crack. And so we are this clay jar, and Jesus is the treasure, but Jesus is residing in a cracked pot. And so here's what you need to understand. Vulnerability is not saying, well, here's how screwed up I am. Here's all of my problems. Vulnerability is just saying, I'm a cracked pot. I am a cracked pot. I am broken. But, I'm, but, but, but I know the one who has an all-surpassing power. Vulnerability is allowing the spirit inside of you to lead you. It's allowing the spirit inside of you to recognize that while I am weak, he is strong. But so many of us aren't willing to get vulnerable even to the people closest to us. And unfortunately, what we are willing to do is to, is to throw up on Facebook or to throw up on Instagram and say, here's where I'm at, world. And what we've done is we believe the lie that power is found in the eyes of the public rather than with God. Did you know that the reward of your vulnerability is not found in the comments you get from unloading your issues on Instagram and Facebook? The reward of your vulnerability is not if the person that you're like sub-Instagramming about responds. The reward of your vulnerability is not found in the amount of clicks that you get. That's addressing the fruit and not the root. We got to dig into the roots. You know, I, I used to think that getting vulnerable, and this is just, if you know me, if we've done life together in any context, I try to put this out there because I just, I, I need to stay vulnerable. But I, I used to truly think about myself that if I got vulnerable, it would made me, make me weak. Because people have a perception of you, Robbie, and you've got to live up to that perception. You can't let people down. And I used to think that if I got honest, if I said, hey, here's how cracked I am, that people would think I was weak. I avoided the root because I didn't want people to know my issues. But here's what I've learned. Admitting weakness doesn't make you weak. It makes you wise. It makes you wise. Jesus says it, James says it in chapter five, verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You see, the enemy wants to keep you silent and broken. God wants you talking and whole. We gotta start talking. If the enemy can keep you silent, he can keep you broken. That's why you need to be in a life group. That's why we talk about them so much. I just believe that they work. In a group, you have the safety to get vulnerable. Maybe not right away. I, I get it. People are weird. You got to weed out the weird ones. I know. I do it. I get it. But over time, you can identify, hey, man, I need, can you and I grab lunch? Because I'm pretty cracked right now. And I need, I need you, I need you to remind me of Jesus in me. 
I need to get vulnerable with you. One of the expectations that I, that I share with my guys is the idea of vulnerability. On the first night of any life group, I just say, hey, my expectation from you, and I, I, I'm expecting this, is that you will be vulnerable in this group. Because here's the thing, when, when you're sitting in a room full of men, our tendency can be to act like we've got it all together, right? Nobody wants to break, but it only takes one person to go deep. If you, if you want to overcome some things in your life, then you're going to have to get acquainted with vulnerability. I tell my guys, listen, you will only be as strong as you are honest. And you know what we learned about ourselves? We're not as strong as we think we are because we bury so much stuff down. You are only as strong as you are honest. And I think some of us want to be stronger, so we got to start getting more honest. Vulnerability paves the way for the Spirit of God in you right? And the spirit of God in someone else to connect and empower you both to move forward. The third root is the root of commitment. The root of commitment. I'm I'm talking about the kind of commitment that is willing to get into the weeds with others, to dig down deep into their mess so that we can help them and assist them in in repairing the roots. Let me just say it like this. If If the circle of people around you in your life haven't caused you to become something better over the last little bit, I I would just add a few more, you know? I would be intentional and say, and part of me wants to say you need to remove some people. You know what? We don't have to go that far. You can keep the circle around you. I would intentionally identify people and add them to your circle, people that you want to commit to you. I've got friends in my life, deep, deep relationships that I've got in my life And sometimes in those friendships, there is a lot of friction. But it's not because we can't get along. It's because we care too much to stay the same. A year ago, one of the closest people in my life, who will be one of the closest people in my life forever, called me. My wife and I, we were sitting at home, and I I was on the couch, and he called me, and he's like, hey, just in tears, heartbroken. He said, Lynn, I just, I just told my wife some stuff and it's not going well. She went into the gas station. I need you to pray for me. And he hung up. And I was able to chat with him a little bit more. And, and what, I, what I heard was that a marriage was done. <laughs> a marriage was, it was finished. But I, I needed that person to know that I was going to answer the phone. I, 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 I needed that person to know that I had a bed for him. And he used it for nearly a whole month. I needed that person to know that there is no reason to go through this pain alone. I didn't have any real answer. And this is what we have to understand. I didn't have any answers for him. That's all I had was a set of ears and a heart that he could feel. Do you have people in your life that can feel your heart? I'm telling you, if you have people in your life that can feel your heart, you have an infinite amount of power to walk them to freedom. He just knew that I was committed to seeing him reach his highest potential. And today, his marriage is better. His personal life is better. His wife is pregnant with their second child. Things are going well. And I didn't do anything but commit to being available. Are you willing to commit yourself to some of the people in your life. Because here's the deal. When you begin to go all in and commit to the people around you, they begin to do the same for you. We've got to quit waiting for someone to commit themselves to you.
Commit to someone. Start the process and see what God does. The fourth root I want to talk about is the root of pursuit. This is the most vital piece of this. This is your pursuit of God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, the truth for so many of us, and myself included oftentimes, is what we do is we seek first all these other things, right? And so we, we identify the problem. We see the fruit that's not ripe, and we say, I got to go fix that. I got to go take care of it. Let me run over here. Let me, let me run over here. And, and what God is saying, no, seek me first, and I'll take care of your marriage. It may take some time, but keep seeking me. Seek me first, and I'll take care of your finances. Seek me first, and I'll take care of, of your dreams, of your, the relationships that you've messed up. I'll help you to forgive yourself. And you know why? Because when you put God first, your spirit begins to retrain your soul. And when you're living a spirit-led life, things just work better. And I don't want to oversimplify that. It can take years. It can take heartache and heartbreak. But when you're living a spirit-led life, things just work better. It works better in your marriage, in your parenting, in your personal life. It works better for your dreams and your goals. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God wants all of your heart. Seek God with everything. Give him, give him it all. Stop resisting. The Spirit of God in you, let him retrain your soul. Seek him. I love what the psalmist writes. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who see the Lord lack no good thing. That's a promise from God. And he doesn't, he shows up on his promises. Seek God in all seasons so that in all seasons, you'll never forget the truth about yourself. You know, maybe this morning you're, you're realizing that a new commitment needs to take place. Maybe today you've realized that you've been going to war with God. And maybe today you just understand what that means. Man, I have been getting in the way of what God wants to do inside of me. My, my stubbornness, my pride, my guilt, my shame, my will, my mind, it's been getting in the way of what God wants to do in me. You've been battling with the Spirit of God. Maybe today is the day that you just, you know, you play tug of war. You know how you just, somebody's got to win. Maybe today you just drop the rope. You just drop the rope and say, God, where are we going? Uh, I need you to get me through it, but let's just, let's start this process. And God, can you pull some people around me as I, as I go through? Because some of you know what you got to, some of you know what's in the weeds. Some of you know what it's going to take and you're just, you're so afraid. Just drop the rope. Just drop the rope. You know, I, I, this morning on my way in, I was, I was praying and I was listening uh, to just different music and uh, just like, God, I feel like he maybe put a, put a thought on my heart and I was like, nope, I already wrote it, God. You needed to do this earlier in the week. <laughs> and uh, he brought my granddad to my head. And my, my, both of my grandparents on my dad's side have died in the last year and a half. And uh, six or seven years ago, my grandmother was diagnosed, my granny was diagnosed with cancer. And, and, and like in her head, she was dead. <laughs> like she was like, oh, that's that. 
and, uh, and she lived another seven years, but uh, every few months she would call me and we would talk or I would go to her house in Goose Creek, South Carolina, and uh, she, we would laugh. And then at the end, right before I got up, she, her bony little hands would grab me and tears would start strolling down her face. And she'd say, you still doing my funeral, right? I said, yes, but it's weird to talk to a person who is alive about their funeral. Like, stop. And, and so what I started to do is I started to meet with them every now and then when I was going back down to Charleston and I would meet with my granny and I would just hear her stories and I would write them down and I would just ask her about her marriage and I learned some things I didn't want to learn. And, and, uh, and I just started to prepare for just, I wanted to honor her so well because she's my hero. And, uh, and then in that process, my granddad went to the hospital one day. And my granny was so weak. She was so, I mean, she was dying. And, and my granddad went to the hospital and he was told right there that he, um, he had stage four cancer and that he didn't have but no, but no time left, really. And uh, you don't know my granddad, but he was a hard man. <laughs> he was a hard man. He, he drank Budweiser with the best of them. He was a good guy. I only ever saw him uh, in boxer shorts uh, in, in a white shirt. And uh, that, was, that was his outfit. And with, yeah, never mind. Boxer shorts have holes in them. It gets weird sometimes when you sit down. Um, it's just, I don't know. And so I just, I grew up going to my granny's house. She ate dinner like at two o'clock. I can't wait to do that when I'm old. And, uh, and I just, I, I love my grandparents. And, and I, I, my granddad was a hard man. He had uh, cherry tattoos that were all distorted because he was so old. He, uh, he had Charleston, like all across his back, completely lopsided, Charleston, South Carolina. And he said, if I ever get lost, just send me that direction, Charleston, South Carolina. He had uh, Cindy tattooed on his, inside of his lip. And my granny's name was Dottie. That ain't right. And um, he was just a hard man. And I knew that he cared about me. But one day my dad asked me to come and hang out with him because he, this was it, you know. And he was so weak and he was so, he was just, I could tell he was like being very introspective. And I said, granddad, can I tell you something? And I don't want to come on too strong here. I said, but you know, you never told me that you loved me. And I said, granddad, you know I love you, right? And he looked at me and he, I could just, you never, you can never feel someone like you just, you, he had so much shame and he was so heartbroken and he had, he, he just was, he looked, I said, granted, I love you. And he just looked at me and he couldn't receive it. And he said, Robbie, you don't understand. I, I've done things that I can't take back. And I, my granny told me a lot of stuff. And he said, you don't understand. I've done things that I've never told anybody. I've done things that I should be in jail right now. I, he said, I, 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 know, I hear you tell me that you love me, Robbie, but I don't know that I can be loved. And the problem's not you, Robbie, but I can't be loved. And I began to walk through the gospel of Jesus with him. And I said, do you believe in God? And he said, of course I believe in God. Do I believe that God loves me? I can't. I'm sorry. So I walked through the gospel with him and I just talked about the grace of God and, 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 and the forgiveness of Jesus. And, and then I, I, I just, I felt like my, my heart, my, my, my soul, what my soul, my mind was telling me is to Robbie, back off, back off. You're pushing too hard. But the spirit of God inside of me was saying, no, Robbie, dig in. I'm doing something here. I need you to just keep digging. And I had that battle of my soul and my spirit. And I said, all right, spirit, you win this one. And I just said, granddad, I want to tell you a story about Jesus on the cross and Jesus is up on the cross and to the to the right and to the left there's thieves and they're they're being crucified with him and one of the thieves looks over and they say hey I want to go where you're going and without hesitation Jesus looks 
to the side and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And I say, granddad, Jesus' pursuit of you hasn't stopped. I think today in this moment, you can receive the grace. You can let go of the shame. You can put the shame down. You can put the anger down, the regret. You can, you're the only one who's still holding it. Granny, Granny's crazy. She ain't holding no regret. Your kids aren't, aren't angry at you anymore. They just want to see what's best for you. And I could just see his whole, he was dying and it was clear, but I could just see his whole body just say, Whew. I said, Granddad, you're a cracked pot and that's okay. But there's something inside of you that wants to come alive. And in that moment, I could just see the spirit of God in him come alive. And I had to come back to Asheville and I hated it, but I called daily and I talked to my dad and he said, Robbie, this last couple of weeks of granddad's life were the best he's ever lived. He was dying and it was obvious, but there was something about his spirit. I said, dad, his spirit came alive. The spirit of God came alive. Some of us, we don't have to, we got, we got a life left, but yet we won't let go of the shame and we won't let go of the guilt and we won't let go of the past mistakes. Let me just encourage you, man. It's better on the other side. If you'll open up to the root of truth about who you are and let the Spirit of God begin to marinate in you, right? If you'll get vulnerable, if you'll get honest, if you'll say, you know what? I'm not who you guys think I am. I'm cracked. And we'll say, yeah, we knew that already. Let's, let's walk this out together. And you'll commit to people and you'll pursue God above all. I think God wants to do something. I think we can begin to live the life God wants us to live if we'll begin to embrace digging deep. Would you pray with me? God, today we commit to allowing your spirit to breathe in us, to allowing your spirit to make us uncomfortable. God, today, I hope there's people in here that just say, today I'm dropping the rope. I'm dropping the rope so that my marriage can heal. I'm dropping the rope and saying, you know what? I'm wrong. God, make me whole. God, make me clean. Take me through the process, and it's going to be a process, but take me through it. I want to embrace it. God, I pray that today your spirit would come alive in somebody that, that doesn't know you, that's just waiting on that entire third of them to just come alive, that their spirit would be quickened. God, quicken spirits today. Bring spirits back to life, God, who've been dead, who've just said, you know what? I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I can't overcome my, my will to fail. I'm tired of self-sabotaging myself. Today, the Spirit of God is going to win, and I'm going to embrace the process. God, today, do a work in us. Do a work in us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.